Song of Solomon chapter 3 verse 6, Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all powders of the merchant? Behold his bed, which is Solomon's. Threescore valiant men are about it, of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of fear in the night. King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. He made the pillars thereof of silver, and the bottom thereof of gold, the covering of it of purple, the midst thereof being paved with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. Then we'll go ahead and read verse 11. Go forth, O ye daughters of Zion, and behold her King Solomon with the crown wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals and in the day of the gladness of his heart. Now you recall we're looking at Song of Solomon from the standpoint of having three main characters. There is, of course, the Shulamite woman. She does a lot of speaking in this Song of Solomon. There is her shepherd, and there is Solomon. Those are the three main characters, and I said last week as we closed out the message, she is faithful to her shepherd, and she needs to be because here comes Solomon coming up out of the wilderness, and he puts on quite a show. He's coming to draw this Shulamite. Remember, Solomon, I don't know of any better way to say it, apparently, than Solomon liked women. You know, 300 wives and 700 concubines, he apparently did. And so he's trying to draw this Shulamite woman after him. Now, here's the picture we're going to look at. Remember, we're studying this from the standpoint of here's how the shepherd feels about his Shulamite bride. Here's how she feels about him. Then we go over to Ephesians chapter 5 and we use the illustration that God through the Holy Spirit used there in the fifth chapter of Ephesians of the husband-wife relationship and Christ's relationship to his churches. So we're going to find out how we ought to feel about the Lord and how he feels about his churches. And so if the Shulamite woman and her shepherd picture the relationship of Christ and his churches, then obviously or apparently the appearance of Solomon would picture the attempt of the world and of the worldly religion to draw God's people away from him and after the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said this, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. He's saying, y'all just put up with what I'm about to say, all right? Because I think here is a great fear, and I can't imagine Paul in fear, but he doesn't talk about fear. Here's the great fear of any God-called preacher who's pastoring one of the Lord's churches that Paul's going to talk about right here. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste, and that word chaste means pure, as a chaste virgin to Christ. He says to that church, and he would, God would say to this church, I would say to this church, I want to be able to present you because this is my responsibility as your pastor, present you as a pure, unblemished, unvarnished virgin to the Lord Jesus Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that was Paul's desire for the churches that God had used him to address. And he goes on to say in verse 3, and here's that fear, but I fear. Okay? But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. 
the Apostle Paul knew the tendency of this human flesh. If somebody comes on the, you know the truth. The truth has been preached. I mean, next September will be nine years here. Right? So the truth has been preached. The truth has been taught. The truth has been declared. You know the truth. And that's what Paul would say to the church at Corinth. That's what pastors, true pastors are saying to true churches today. You know the truth. But here's what I fear. Knowing the flesh the way we know the flesh, unless we do like our Sunday school lesson today said and consider Jesus, and that just means dwell deeply upon the Lord, somebody might come along and preach something that sounded so good to this flesh. Even might even make sense to the flesh that we'd say, hmm, I think I'll follow that doctrine. I think I'll follow that preacher and might even leave the truth. Paul says, I fear that that might happen, that somebody will come preaching another Jesus and you might follow him, that your minds are going to be corrupted from the simplicity that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he realized the possibility of that because first of all, and we see this in these verses in Song of Solomon, what I call the deceitful beauty of the world. Now folks, this world is beautiful. And the deceitful beauty of the world. Look at verse 6 here in chapter 3 of Song of Solomon. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the powders of the merchant? See how Solomon appears? He comes up out of the wilderness. He comes with pillars of smoke. He is putting on quite a show. All of the powders of the merchant. This is a display, folks. Now, I understand that when Oriental kings went anywhere... They had the pomp and all that Solomon had that it was quite a show, you know, when they went places. And Solomon is no different. I want you to see how Satan presents himself. Also from 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, because Paul started out talking about them being drawn away by the world. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. He's talking about false teachers now. And Paul had been accused of being one of those who just preached for money. And he's defending his ministry. He's defending his apostleship. And he says, but what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion. That is occasion to boast that their work is just like ours. I've got news for you. A false teacher's work is not just like mine. A false church's work is not just like ours. In fact, the world seeks to draw people after themselves. But he says, I'm going to cut off their occasion to boast that wherein they glory, they may be found as we are for such, talking about false teachers, listen to this, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. In other words, a false preacher, a false teacher will come on the scene. He'll say, I'm preaching Jesus. I'm following Jesus. You need to follow me. I'm following Jesus. He'll claim the same thing that a true God called preacher would claim. And he says in verse 14, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Don't believe everything in religion. In fact, anything that you hear of a religious nature, anything you hear of a spiritual nature, you need to check it out by the Word of God. You know, Because the Word of God will show us the truth and reveal error. And he says, No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. You know what he's saying? Satan has preachers. Satan has preachers who are today standing in pulpits preaching messages that are foreign to the Word of God. 
Messages like works for salvation, messages like baptism, church membership, good works, living a good life, just being a good person. Don't worry about it. God's going to save everybody in the end. That kind of message is being preached from pulpits today. But what does the Word of God declare? All of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Only in Jesus Christ is there salvation. And so you check out what preachers say. You check out what this preacher says by the Word of God. So Satan presents himself in that way. By the way, the word transform, transforming themselves into angels of light. Satan transforms himself into a minister of righteousness or his servants do. That word transform, there's two words that are translated transformed in the word of God. One of them means to let what is on the inside come out. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're to let what we are. If you're a child of God, you're something different on the inside than you are on the outside, but you need to let what's on the inside come through the outside. And let people see Christ in you. The other word, transform, the best picture I can think of is a child putting on a Halloween mask. They're masking what's really there. They're masking who is really there. And that's what he's talking about here. Satan puts on a mask. Satan pretends to be from God. His preachers pretend to be from God. It means to alter one's appearance in order to hide what is within. And so the Word of God teaches us that we are to be transformed, but Satan also transformed himself. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Matthew 7, 15, Jesus warned about false prophets. And how did he say they would come? They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Over in the book of Jude, the 16th verse of Jude. Let's just turn over there for a moment. Jude verse 16. Listen to what Jude says about them. I like to point this out. You say, well, well he wasn't such a bad guy and he treated me nicely. Well, listen to what Jude says. These are murmurers. Talking about false teachers. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts and get this. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Be careful about the preacher, the teacher, the person who comes in and always has something good to say about you. Always complimenting you. Always lifting you up. Always telling you how wonderful you are, especially a preacher who stands in the pulpit and does that. Why? Because... They might be just lifting you. That having men's persons in admiration is that people like this use this approach of complimenting and trying to be friendly and everything. Use it to gain your confidence. Use it to gain your trust. Jude actually says in the first part of that book of Jude that they slip in by a side door. I've always said it would be great if a false teacher, when he came in and said, Look, folks, I'm a false teacher. I intend to lead you away from the Lord. I mean, we just pick him up and throw him out the door right then. But that's not how they come in. They come in by the side door, Jude said. They just sneak in very carefully, and he warns us about that. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. So the Word of God tells us that in the last days, there are going to be people, there's going to be churches that have, remember 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, that have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. That form has the idea of just a, an outline. It has the idea of just a shadow. 
It's not the real thing. And there's a lot of churches today, there's a lot of preachers today that have a form of godliness, but they deny the real power by their lives and by what they say, they deny the power of godliness in their lives. Many times they'll come saying, this is what you can have if you'll forsake God's way. Now they won't say it that way, but that's what they're saying in their message. Worldly religion and the world's preachers put on a royal display today, folks. They make people think many times, I've seen some of these characters on television, and you probably have too. They dress fancy, they live fancy, they drive fancy, they even fly fancy. And they give you the idea, you can have some of this if you'll just follow me, if you'll just send your money to me, if you'll just support me, you can have all of these things. It puts on a royal display. Now, I have nothing against churches, and when God blesses a church and it has a large ornate, beautiful building. I have absolutely nothing against that. I think we have a beautiful building. It's sort of crippled right now, but we have a beautiful building. God has blessed us with what we have. And I'm thankful for that. But look at the world's churches and what many times where they meet and what they meet. Or maybe they advertise this, exciting services. Well, listen, I think coming to worship God ought to be exciting. But I don't think we have to advertise exciting services in the sense of creating excitement to try to attract people. And then the promise of being successful according to the world standards. You know, some of the most successful people of God have lost everything they had. Job lost everything. He stayed faithful to God and God blessed him in the end. The Apostle Paul, we've been studying on Wednesday nights, gave up everything to serve God, but look how greatly God used him in his service. We must remember the appearance of that archangel named Lucifer prior to his fall. Remember, he was an archangel. He was over this physical realm. He was over this world. And his name, Lucifer, meant literally shining one. Shining one. He apparently was a very, very beautiful angel. Listen to Ezekiel 28, verse 13. Because apparently there was a musical beauty to his voice. It says, The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. He not only was beautiful, he had a beautiful sound to his voice. Just read the book of Daniel and read about Nebuchadnezzar when he built his great image to himself What was a signal for people to bow before the image? It was a musical signal for people to bow before the image. Listen as much as you can. I know I used to play rock music on the radio, but listen to much of the so-called music today and what it talks about and the words that are in it. I don't know if we have any parents of real young people here today but parents of young people need to listen to what their children are listening to need to hear the subject matter of some of the things that they're listening to and hear some of the language that's in what they're listening to and if they're Christian parents they would be aghast at what their children are listening to and say my children don't listen to that rock music they listen to country you know the difference between rock and country Rock says we're going to do it tonight. Country says we did it last night. That's about the only difference between the two. And so Satan uses music 
and he's very beautiful. And when the world comes before us, it will use those things to try to attract us and draw us away from the Lord. There are several songs that Joni sings that I like. But many of them, some of them, probably most of them, right? I got the words down and I changed the words in the song before she sang it. So many of these songs are misleading in the words. I appreciate a song director who makes sure that we sing scriptural songs because we ought to be singing scripturally to the Lord. Satan presents himself as beautiful to men. Now, if you don't believe that, I hate to suggest you do this, but if you don't believe that, just watch some of the beer ads on television. Doesn't get any better than this, does it? And it's always in a beautiful location and everybody's happy and smiling and laughing. See, this is what you can have if you will buy our product. But the reality is not shown. The reality of the drunk in the gutter covered with his own vomit and with flies. The reality of broken homes. The reality of domestic abuse. The reality of beaten and battered children. That's not shown in those ads. And so Satan is very devious in the way he presents himself and in the things that he presents. The beauty of Satan and the beauty of sin and the beauty of the world is a deceitful beauty. And Solomon's coming on the scene to attract this Shulamite woman with a deceitful beauty. Well, then we see in verses 7 and 8 what I call the displayed boldness of the world. Again, look at his appearance. Man, this is an entourage, isn't it? It says three score, that's 60 valiant men of Israel were about his bed. Now his bed is talking about his, his chair. You know the, I don't know what they're called, the things that Asian kings lay on and got men carrying them on poles and taking the king wherever he wanted to go. That's what he's talking about. 60 valiant men surrounding him. Not only that, they're all experts in war. They're all wearing swords. I mean, this is an impressive display. It would be almost like, and I've seen these before, and we've done those, just having a display of our military might someday and watching that and seeing what we have in our arsenal as a nation. And it's impressive. It makes you think about those things. It's a demonstration of might. It's a demonstration of strength. And Solomon's coming on the scene like this. Note the boldness of the world and worldly religion. First of all, they preach another Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 again. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive another gospel which you have not received, and which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. Listen, any gospel so-called that does not present Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation is not gospel. You know what gospel means? Good news. And if you tell me that I have to live a good life to stay saved, that's not good news because i got news for you. I don't have it in my flesh to live a perfect life. Amen. If you tell me that I've got to be baptized in order to be saved along with trusting Jesus, guess what? I'm in trouble, especially if I'm out in the desert somewhere and I'm dying, right? Good news is Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. It is a sufficient sacrifice. In fact, we studied in Sunday school this morning, and I love this, that after he had made all of the sacrifice for sin, what did he do? He sat down. And what's the importance of his sitting down? 
The Day of Atonement was the busiest day there was for the high priest. He was making sacrifices for all of the people. He started early in the morning. He worked until late in the evening, and he could not sit down until every sacrifice for sin had been made. What did Jesus say just before he dismissed his spirit from his body? Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. Everything that is necessary to be done has been done in order to not only to save, but to seal and to secure. Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul said, There be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Down in verse 9, he said, As we said before, so say I now again, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Listen to the true gospel from the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Jesus plus anything, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then the world seeks to draw men, and false religion and false preachers seek to draw men after them. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Be careful of anybody that comes in here and tries to divide this church. Amen. Be careful of anybody that seeks to draw disciples after them who says you show loyalty to me first and foremost. Not loyalty to God, not loyalty to the Lord, but to me, you follow me. No. Folks, you follow Jesus. Amen. Even the Apostle Paul, when he told people to follow him, what he said was, you follow me as I follow Jesus. I'll show you how to follow Jesus, okay? You learn from me following Jesus. But he didn't ask people to follow him. And so the Word of God warns us that that is going to happen. And then they deny the Lord. False preachers, false teachers, false churches, false religion denies the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily or privately or surreptitiously or stealthily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. I said a moment ago, it'd be great if a false teacher would say, I'm a false teacher, I want to lead you astray. But they don't do that, do they? I don't know why I thought of this, but remember the song, A Spoonful of Sugar Helps the Medicine Go Down? A Spoonful of Truth Helps the Error Go Down, folks. And false teachers are experts at mixing a little bit of truth with a whole lot of error to corrupt the minds and the hearts of God's people. Jude says they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 4 in Jude, not only do they do that, but they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. For there are certain men crept in unawares, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Do you remember why Jude wrote the book of Jude? Do you remember why he wanted to write the book of Jude? Read that little short book. It's only 20-something verses. He said, I wanted to write to you about salvation. But, he said, it was, this is how the Holy Spirit works. He said, but it was needful for me to write and to instruct you to contend for the faith that was once and for all times delivered unto the saints. Why did Jude feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to write 
and instruct these people to contend for the faith because there were certain men crept unawares. Men who came in by the side door. Men who sought to lead these believers astray. And Jude says you need to be warned about them. Notice the arrogance of lost mankind. Of course, Psalm 14, 1, Psalm 53, 1. He denies the existence of God. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. We got a lot of foolish people in our world today. Not because I call them fools, but because God does. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And then he exchanges the glory of God for the disgrace of man. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of him talking about God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. People don't have an excuse for denying God today. God's giving evidence and has given evidence of His existence in the creation. And so you don't have any excuse for denying God. And He says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves, doesn't this describe our day, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Folks, we got a lot of fools, I'll say again, in our world. And then he says, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They started worshiping animals and bugs and birds and things like that because they didn't want to retain the knowledge of an almighty God who created mankind. They wanted a God they can control. And I contend that most people today, if they're going to acknowledge God, they want a God that they can hold right here. And when they say jump, he says how high. We don't control God. We need to let God control us. And they seek to make merchandise of God and God's people and the Lord's churches. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Feigned words talked about artificial words, fictitious words. In other words, they always got a compliment. Whether they mean it or not, boy, you sure look good today. Boy, things are going great. They always have some kind of compliment to make. And he said they use that to make gain of you. To defeat you. And then there's all of this arrogance that we talked about. He, mankind, he glories in the sin of man. Romans chapter 1 verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God. That they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. Do you realize we live in a world that enjoys hearing about the sins of other people? Now, I don't know if he's still around or not, but if just sort of go back in your mind if he's not still around today, but just think about shows like Jerry Springer. And it's entertainment to sit there and watch the perverted ways some people live. That's what the Word of God's talking about right here. We live in that day. And then according to Ephesians 2, 2, lost man walks according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. That is our world today. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, which we'll get, Lord willing, tonight. Lost man lives according to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It was lost religious men who denied the deity of Jesus when he was on this earth. I didn't say lost evil men. I said lost religious men. 
religion is Satan's biggest business. It was lost religious men that accused Jesus of doing the miracles that he did. How? By satanic power. You're just doing this by the power of Beelzebub, who is supposed to be the chief of demons. It was lost religious men who rejected Jesus and nailed him to the cross. So don't say just religion's okay. No, religion's Satan's biggest business. And we have to stand for the truth. The boldness of the world is what it's talking about. And we live in a world that is very bold toward and against the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 9 and 10, there's what I call the devious beckoning of the world. Again, I talk about that couch that Solomon's lying on. He calls it his bed here. Some call it his chariot. It's made, first of all, of the wood of Lebanon. Now, this was some fine wood. Remember, David, when he got ready to build the temple, made a deal with Hiram to be able to use the cedars of Lebanon. I don't know about you, but I like the smell of cedar. To use these cedars of Lebanon in the building of the temple. And I'm sure this wood of Lebanon was some of the cedars of Lebanon. It had pillars of silver. Now, how would you like to have this in your bedroom? Pillars of silver and a bottom of gold. It had a covering of purple, and it was paved with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. It talks about its attractiveness. It was designed to attract the daughters of Jerusalem. What does that teach us in relation to what we're talking about, in relation to the Lord's churches, and in relation to our faithfulness to Jesus? Folks, Satan makes sin look attractive. Satan makes sin look attractive in order to sway us away from God. Over in the book of James, James chapter 1, verse 13, God through James tells us this, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. First thing to note, God will not tempt you to sin. Just jot it down, write it down, make a note of it. God will not tempt and God can't be tempted to sin either. He won't tempt you. You can't tempt him. Nobody can tempt him. He is God. So he doesn't tempt any man to sin. But then he says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of what? His own lust. Do you know that we are born with lust in us? We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by birth. And part of that sin that is in us is that thing. What is lust? Well, lust is just a desire for more. Lust is never satisfied. Lust wants more and more and more. No matter what God gives us, no matter what God does for us, lust just wants more and more and more. And James says, here's how we're tempted, that lust that is in us, Satan works on that. And he uses that to draw us. And he says we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. You know what that word enticed means? It means to catch with a bait. You go fishing, you don't just drop a bare hook into the water, do you? I don't know why I hadn't caught anything. I've been sitting here fishing with this bare hook all day long. Well, there's a reason. There's no bait on it. You put a worm or a minnow or a cricket, or you use an artificial bait that looks like some of that and throw it out there, you're liable to get a hit. Why? Because you've enticed that fish. And that fish sees whether it's the shininess of the artificial lure, Uh, Whether it's the bait, the fish sees that, and the fish says, hmm, something good, and bites at it. 
and the fish is caught. That's what it means to be enticed. We are drawn away of our own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth what? Death. One preacher said LSD, lust, sin, and death. I like that. What is death? Death is separation. As a child of God, we sin against God. What happens to our fellowship with the Heavenly Father? It's broken. It's broken. There's a separation there. And Satan, if he can't, I'm working on, I don't know whether it's a message, whether it's an article, I haven't figured out what it is yet, but I'm working on something called the next best thing. You know, what is the next best thing? If you can't have a T-bone steak for lunch, what's the next best thing? One year, I was pastoring in a place we had been plagued by flies. We bricked the building after I set it on fire, accidentally. We bricked the building, and the sand apparently that we brought in to mix in the mortar had flies all in it, and we were just beset by flies. Well, after service, one Sunday morning, I'm going to grill some steaks for lunch, and boy, they look good. Well, because of the flies the day before, I had coated our front porch with bug spray. I get these steaks done and I put them on the plate and I start in the house and a fly came at one of those steaks and I went to shoe him and dumped both of them on the front porch. You know what the next best thing was? We had bologna for lunch. Okay? What is the next best thing? If you can't have a steak, would bologna be the next best thing? Whatever. And the idea is this. If Satan can't get your soul, if you're already saved, if you're a child of God, what's the next best thing he can get? He can get your influence. He can get your life. He can get your witness. He can get your testimony. That's the next best thing. And I may have already preached that message now, so I don't have to work on it anymore, right? But the next best thing, he draws us away. He catches us. He separates us from God in our fellowship with God. We don't lose our salvation, but we lose our fellowship with our Heavenly Father. That's broken. It can be restored, certainly. But do we really want to be out of fellowship with God? I hope not. Sin, and you've heard me say this several times lately, but folks, sin is pleasurable to the flesh. Your flesh likes it. My flesh likes it. Sin is just pleasurable. And here's the verse, Hebrews 11, verses 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So the Bible says sin is pleasurable to the flesh. Should not be to a child of God, but it is pleasurable to the flesh. In Proverbs chapter 7, Verses 6 through 23. I'm going to take the time to turn there. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So we want Proverbs chapter 7. And we're not going to read all of these verses. We're just going to point out a few of them. But it describes the beckoning of the world and of sin. And listen to the parallel it makes. Here's the appearance of it, beginning in verse 10. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him, kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. That's the way sin works. It's loud. It's a big show. 
It's boisterous. And it says, come and follow me. I'll make it pleasurable. I will make it enjoyable. And then, down in verse 21 through verse 23, we see what I call the attraction of it. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. She didn't physically make him do anything. With her speech and with her lips, it says, He goeth after her straightway. And here's the way we are sometimes when we fall into sin. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter. How does an ox go to the slaughter? Many times, no resistance. Just go right up, follows the rest of them right on in, right? Or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till a dart strike through his liver. As a bird hasteth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. And that's the way a child of God gets caught up in sin. He's enticed. He's drawn away with his own lust. He's tempted. He's caught. And then he's taken to the slaughter. And I believe that there are many, many people who have professed Jesus Christ as Savior. Some who are truly saved. So not everybody that professes Jesus is saved, are they? Well, you can say yes to that because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody that claims that they're a child of God is a child of God. You say, are you judging preacher? No, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. There are a lot of people who profess to be saved that are lost. And there are a lot of people who are saved, whose influence, whose fellowship have all been taken away just like an ox to the slaughter, just like a bird that's caught in the snare and doesn't, he says, doesn't even realize it's for his life. The beckoning of sin, the attraction of sin. God's Word warns us against the attraction of this world and I believe it warns us about things that are easy to get into and very difficult to get out of. As God's people, we love tradition, don't we? But what if you fall into an unscriptural tradition? I'm not saying we have. I don't know of any unscriptural traditions that we have. I know of some churches that I think probably have some, but I'm not naming them. But what if we fall into some kind of ungodly, unscriptural tradition and then some preacher comes along and tries to straighten it out? Who looks like the bad guy? The preacher before the church. Now to God, He's doing what He ought to do, but before the church. No, my great-granny you know, did this years ago and we're not going to change it. But it violates the Word of God. It doesn't matter. We have to be careful about what we get. Have you ever gotten into one of those, pulled into one of those parking places that says, it doesn't really say this, but you find out later, entrance free, and then you have to pay about 2 or $3 to get out? That's what God's people get into sometimes. Listen to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. Know how young people need to hear this. But churches too, all believers, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can you just pick up fire and pull it to yourself like this and hold it here and your clothes not be burned? You say that's ridiculous, preacher. Absolutely not. Your clothes are going to get burned if you pull fire to your chest. Verse 28, can one go up on hot coals and his feet not be burned? We grew up with a floor furnace. You ever step on one barefooted? 
bottom of your feet to look like waffles after you stood on floor furnace accidentally and get them burned. You can't walk on hot coals and your feet not be burned. You can't mess with sin and not be affected. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth. He said, your glorying is not good. Remember what he's talking about there. They had a man who was committing sin with either his mother or stepmother. And the church was proud that they were just showing such a love for him and letting him go on and be a member of the church and all. And they said, the Apostle Paul said, your glory is not good. Don't you know, know you not, that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? If you've ever made bread, it doesn't take much yeast, does it, to make that bread rise? Why? A little leaven. That's what leaven is, is yeast. A little leaven will leaven the whole thing. A little bit of sin in your life will leaven your life. A little bit of sin adopted, accepted, approved, practiced by this church will leaven this church, folks. That's what he's telling that church at Corinth and that's what God's Word is telling us. And so many times we as God's people are just as bad as so many young people today say, I can handle it. You know, I can do this, I can be involved with this and it's not going to affect me in my life as a child of God, it will because the Word of God says it will. You can't stand on a floor furnace without your feet looking like waffles. As we attempt to serve God, and especially in these last days, Satan and his forces are doing everything they can do to stop us. They want to stop us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Our battle is not with the pornographer. Our battle is not with the people who sell alcohol. Our battle is not with the homosexual. Our battle is on a higher plane than that. Amen. What does he say about that battle? He says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. By the way, it says Satan is very wily, and he is. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where our battle is. We must be prepared to fight that battle. Satan is very, very wily. 2 Corinthians 2.11 talks about his devices, his methods. He's very methodical. Satan is willing to wait just long enough to let us turn away from God. And just like Solomon in this third chapter comes on the scene and is wanting to draw this Shulamite woman away from her shepherd, Satan's standing out there wanting to draw us away from the Lord. Wanting to draw this church away from the truth. Wanting to draw believers away from serving the Lord. But we need to be like this Shulamite woman because what did she do? Hey, I don't care whether it's Solomon or not. I love my shepherd. And I am going to be true to my beloved. We get to chapter 4, we're going to see her expressions of love for him. And that's coming, Lord willing, next week. But we must show the same fidelity... We must show the same love. And in closing, I just want to remind us of Paul's instructions to the church at Ephesus about this battle that we're fighting. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What do we need? The armor of God. We can't face it by ourselves. 
Okay? Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Where do you get truth? The Word of God. Loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Cover your heart, alright? And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. I know I shared this in Sunday school and I shared it on Facebook yesterday, but I'm going to tell you again for some who haven't seen it, haven't heard it. Yesterday when it was thundering, our little dog was just, he doesn't like thunder. And I'm petting him, I'm loving on him, and I'm finally, I'm, I'm telling, look, I'm not going to let you get hurt. I'm going to protect you. Don't worry about it. And finally I said to him, I wish you would learn to trust me and not be afraid. And the Lord said to me, I've been trying to teach you that same lesson for a long time. Taking the shield of faith wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation, protect your head and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Folks, Satan's out there. And what he has to offer to this flesh looks amazing. Boy, I'd like to have some of that. I would love to see, even with us having to meet like this, I'd love to see that parking lot full of cars. But we're not going to go worldly. We're not going to leave the truth. We're not going to play games to attract people in here. We're not going to entertain and try to bait and switch them to the gospel once they get in here. We're going to preach the word of God because that's what God said to do.